destruction of the second Death Star, the first galactic empire was in disarray. As a government, their legitimacy and credibility was reduced to the ashes of its superweapon. With their tail between their legs relegated to the outer rim, the Imperials continued to fight their war against the New Republic, who they still pejoratively called the Rebellion. Under the leadership of Admiral Natasi Dalla, protege and mistress of the late Wilhuff Tarkin. The power vacuum left by the deaths of Darth Vader, Emperor Palpatine, and Grand Admiral Thrawn was almost impossible to fill, and the Empire was divided with infighting and rivalries being commonplace. And though Dalla was the ruler, she was in a politically and militarily weak position which could not be sustained due to a loss on the battlefield in a campaign against the New Republic. She would ultimately relinquish control to her second-in-command, Gilad Pelion. Pelion was politically much more moderate, for an imperial that is, and also humble, as it was never a position he aspired to have. In many ways, this made him the perfect candidate to reunite the Empire, as the Moffs who controlled the sectors in the mid and outer rims found his leadership acceptable and grew tired of the cult of personality that defined previous rulers. He even bought, brought in many reforms like abolishing slavery and giving non-human sentience more rights. Early in his administration, he even scored a number of military victories against the Republic, cementing his leadership with the Council of Moffs, making him invulnerable to political attacks by the Imperial hardliners who did not appreciate the liberal reforms. Peleon's new invigorated regime would be referred to as the, quote, Imperial Remnant. His early success would not last forever, though, as he would ultimately lose a number of key sectors to the New Republic, forcing him to find detente with the adversary. In 22 BBY, the Remnant would sign a peace treaty with the Republic, vowing to end hostilities indefinitely. The warming relationship between the former foes would not end here. However, the threat of the Yuzhan Vong now threatened the galaxy. Chief of State Leia Organa went on an urgent diplomatic mission to the Imperials to propose a military alliance, which Pelion ultimately accepted. The Remnant became a member state of the Galactic Alliance, and Pelion even served as the Grand Admiral of its fleet signaling an unprecedented level of cooperation between the Empire and the Republic. 
this level of camaraderie would not last forever, as the Sith had still been lurking in the shadows of the Empire, and the hardline moths who longed for a return to the old Empire. A second galactic civil war would eventually break out, and a new Empire was being formed in its wake by a young upstart named Jagged Fell. An Empire Resurrected Son of the legendary starfighter pilot, Suntor Fell, Jagged was practically born into the military, with a renowned family name to live up to. He was raised in the unknown regions, among the Chiss, in an environment of discipline, duty, and loyalty to the Empire, joining the Chiss Academy as soon as he was eligible. By the age of 18, he had achieved the rank of Colonel, unprecedented for someone of his age, and not long after that, he was deployed to the Republic space to assist in fending off the Yuzongbong threat. It was here he grew close in relationship with Wedge Antilles and Jaina Solo, whom he would eventually begin a romance with. After the war, however, Vel was recalled to the Chiss Ascendancy to serve as a fleet captain in a war effort against an insectoid race called the Killix. Jagged would eventually lose favor with the Chiss for a series of misadventures that occurred and would be exiled from the Ascendancy for which he dedicated much of his life. He had some unfinished business with the Killix and wanted to exterminate a dark side influence faction called the Dark Nest. The Jedi Council also had an interest in the mission and agreed to assist him, sending Jaina to help root out the Vagabonds. When the Second Galactic Civil War broke out, sparked by Darth Cadus' alliance with the disaffected Imperial and Republic factions, Fel would be instrumental in helping to defeat the Dark Lord's power grab. Darth Cadus, who was Jaina's brother, formerly known as Jason Solo, would die by his sister's hand, thus ending the conflict. Because of Jagged's help, he would become ingratiated with the highly influential Solo and Skywalker families, even marrying Jaina. During the negotiations around the restructuring of a post-war republic and empire, Luke Skywalker lobbied the Council of Moths to select Jagged as the new emperor, thus establishing the beginning of the Fell dynasty. The marriage of Jaina Solo, who was royalty in her own right, and Jagged Fell would cement the close relationship between the republic and the empire for a century to come. The former bitter rivals would now be the closest of allies. Jagged also introduced a number of reforms to his regime. Chief among them was establishing a hereditary monarchy. Since its inception, the Galactic Empire suffered from fierce and often violent competition for who had the legitimate right to be emperor. This led to fracturing, civil war, and disarray, as few people were able to hold power for very long before being assassinated, mutinied, or overthrown in uprisings. By becoming the Empire's monarch, a position which would be inherited by his kin, he was able to put an end to the power struggles that existed finally bringing order to the chaos. Though he was sovereign for life, he did find detente with the Moths and allowed them to keep a con considerable amount of control over their society, and could be viewed as the second branch of government. Another major shift was the victory without war policy. This doctrine basically stated that the Empire would expand not through military conquest, but through galactic aid and economic relationships, convincing worlds to join them through benevolence rather than might. This was especially effective in the aftermath of the Yezongbong War, which left many planets in dire poverty and destitution. 
Though Jagged did keep a number of cultural artifacts, like powerful, well-funded military and navy, a hyper-focus on the orderly society, and general, albeit toned-down xenophobia, one of the most radical of his reforms was allowing the light side of the force to be practiced inside the Empire. Imperial Knights. In his newly formed empire, Jagged had a nostalgia for the Palpatine regime, despite his close ties with Luke Skywalker and the Republic. He was particularly enamored with the Red Guard, the former Emperor's highly specialized security detail, which had dawned red armor, a face covering, and a force pike. Taking inspiration from the Red Guard, but putting a new spin on it, Jagged established the Imperial Knights, a team of highly trained elite combatants who could also wield the force. Like their predecessors before them, they also wore red armor. However, they did not cover their faces and they wielded lightsabers as opposed to force pikes. The knights, though not members of the Jedi Order, explicitly rejected the dark side of the force. Indeed, perhaps their highest loyalty would not be to the force, but to the Emperor. Joining the knights was a lifelong commitment, and leaving them was punishable by death. Possibly at the behest of Luke Skywalker and Jaina Solo fell, the Knights were prohibited from practicing the dark side as a matter of policy. In fact, Jagged made it a rule that should an Emperor ever fall to the dark side, it was the Knight's duty to convert him to the path of light, and should the Emperor fail to submit, the Knight will carry out his execution, thus adding an insurance policy to the Imperial throne should it ever be supplanted by a Sith. The regiment was a highly disciplined and skilled fighting force, and they carried out other tasks that went above and beyond protection of the monarch, as they would take on special missions, both diplomatic and military, in service of the Empire. This was a marked difference from their progenitors who served Palpatine, who for the most part served as the Imperial Emperor's personal security detail. Unlike the Jedi Order, which recruited young children as Padawans, all apprentices with the Imperial Knights were adults, who merely had to exhibit considerable combat prowess, some force aptitude, and most importantly, an undying loyalty to the Emperor. The apprentice would come under the tutelage of a veteran knight, with whom he would train until it was determined he was ready to himself be knighted. Jagged Fell made it so that no one could fail to become a knight once they had become an apprentice, that they would train and prepare until they were ready, even if it took decades. Though there were a small number of masters in the order, it was not very heavily emphasized as with the Jedi. As their philosophy stated, they served only one master, the Emperor. Most often, the title was given to the first and second in command of the Order, 
and on occasion to highly skilled specialists like the Master Armorer. All knights wielded a standardized silver lightsaber and red armor. Though they were certainly highly proficient with lightsabers, they did not solely focus on them as they also trained in grenadier tactics, blaster skills, and the use of vehicles and other large weapons. They were expected to be competent and well-rounded in a wide range of battle scenarios. Their final weapon was the Force, which they must have mastered in order to become a knight. Though they may not have been as powerful in the Force as many Jedi or Sith, to the point that some Sith even referred to them as Fel's Forcelings. Though Imperial Knights were not allowed to succumb to the dark side, they were permitted to practice some dark force techniques, and many of them had no strong feelings towards the dark side or the light, as they viewed the force as a means to an end, and not an end in itself. Luke Skywalker's new Jedi Order often described them as, quote, Grey Jedi. Though accurate, they never referred to themselves as such nor did they take an ideologically gray position. The Sith Imperial War A century had passed, and the Fell Empire had established itself as an economic and military powerhouse, much stronger and more powerful than it had been when Jagged's dynasty was established. Things were generally peaceful between the Empire and the Galactic Alliance, coexisting in relative harmony. But the unprecedented era of cooperation would soon come to an end, as the Sith had returned to become a disruptive force in the galaxy yet again. A new Dark Jedi Order, who went by The One Sith, had arisen out of the shadows, led by their charismatic leader, Darth Krayt. In the events that led to the war, the Jedi Order, in partnership with the Yuuzhan Vong, had been working on the Osis Project, a terraforming enterprise intended to restore many of the worlds that had been devastated during the Yuuzhan Vong War. It was politically very divisive, and many of the sectors in both the Empire and the Republic felt very uneasy about using Vong technology as the wounds of the catastrophic war still bled. The suspicions did not end there, however, as some were concerned this would be a Trojan horse that the Vong could use to re-emerge as a galactic threat. Darth Krayt's one Sith agents sabotaged the Osis project, causing a mutation on one of the terraformed planets, Wayland, to create a plague. Chaos ensued, and the plague spread to every single terraformed planet, killing and maiming millions. The project was abruptly ended and the political fallout had begun, as dozens of systems seceded from the Galactic Alliance and implemented a number of anti-Vong policies. The Jedi maintained the innocence of the Vong, but could not prove sabotage. The Empire, out of expediency, seized on this opportunity and convened the Moff Council. The hardliner moths, nostalgic for the reign of Palpatine, had long been critical of the Empire's cozy relationship with the Alliance, and now had political wind in their sails. 
they swiftly invoked the Treaty of Anaxes and declared war on the Republic over charges of bioterrorism. Emperor Rhone fell, objected to this, and wanted to find a more diplomatic and moderate solution, but he was overruled by a strong majority in his council, and he was grudgingly forced to lead his empire into war. Despite this, he still had full executive control over the Imperial Knights and forbade them from participating in the war, thus avoiding an inevitable conflict with their white side kin, the Jedi Order. One year into the campaign, the Empire began suffering serious defeats and were losing ground despite the fact that the Alliance had been severely damaged by widespread secession movements in their own territory. It was the Jedi who were able to turn the tides of war in the Alliance's favor. Because Ronfell banned the use of Imperial Knights, the Empire had no counter to the Force-using specialists. The Sith, however, were still lurking in the shadows waiting for the most opportune time to unveil themselves. Crate had caught the ear of many sympathetic Moths, and as the war was beginning to go against the Empire, the Moths forged a strategic alliance with the One Sith in order to salvage their hopes of victory. After finally being revealed, the Sith started going mano a mano with the Jedi on the battlefield. Once again, Roan, who loathed the dark side, protested against the decision of the Moths to ally themselves to the Sith, and it was finally becoming clear to him that the Sith must have orchestrated the false flag event on the Osis project in the first place, handing Darth Krayt an incredible amount of leverage. After three long years of bitter fighting, the final straw was at the Battle of Kamas, where the Sith Imperial fleet was able to deliver a crushing blow to the Alliance fleet, spelling out the end of the war. Though some of the Alliance vessels did survive, they were reduced to a small vagabond group of starships fighting small skirmishes against the Empire, refusing to surrender, not unlike Skywalker's rebellion in times of old. Be that as it may, the Sith Imperial fleet descended upon Coruscant and accepted the Alliance's unconditional surrender, thus absorbing all of Alliance space into the Empire. Roan Fell extended an open invitation to any Jedi of the Order to be accepted into the ranks of the Imperial Knights. This was partly to offer amnesty as retribution from the Sith, who held considerable political clout with the Moths, was no doubt coming. Though many did accept the offer, many still could not tolerate being allied to the Sith and thus were scattered throughout the galaxy to go into hiding. A Splintered Empire The honeymoon period that came after the Empire's victory was to be short-lived. On a supposed diplomatic mission to Ossus, the home of the Jedi, to negotiate terms of the new regime, Krait had other plans. He used the mission as a cover to sneak in his Sith warriors on the planet where they would murder every last Jedi, removing any obstacles to his iron rule and paving the way to commit a coup d'etat against Rowan Fell, thus crowning himself Emperor. It was a bloodbath, and the grisly events would later be called the Massacre at Ossus, or the Third Jedi Purge by others. Unlike attempts at genocide against the Jedi in the past, this one could hardly be called a success, as nearly half the entire order had already fled and scattered throughout space in protest of joining the new empire. It was still enough, though, 
to leave little resistance against Krayt's attempts at the throne, save Fell's imperial knights. Later, during a gathering of the moths and the emperor in his imperial chamber, is where the Dark Lord decided to make his move. After assassinating the man on the throne in the presence of all the moths, Darth Crate demonstrated his power in swift fashion, cementing the coup d'etat. The one wrinkle in his plan, however, is that the man on the throne was a decoy, and not, in fact, Emperor Ronan Fell. Fell was one step ahead of Crate and had already fled the planet with his Imperial Knights. Rowan soon embarked on a political campaign to rally as many Moffs, Jedi, and former Alliance officials to his cause to resist the new Krayt regime. In a short period of time, the Empire had once again been splintered into two warring factions, those loyal to the Fell dynasty and those who made their allegiance with Krayt and the Sith in what was called the Second Imperial Civil War. Darth Krayt's empire would be referred to as the One Sith Rule, while Fells would be called the Empire in Exile. The war was brutal and lasted eight years, with no clear victor resting full control over Imperial space. The conflict would ultimately find its conclusion very much near where it all began, the skies over Coruscant. Rowan Fell had begun to get desperate to end Krayt's rule, and had developed a bioweapon called Omega Red, which was intended to end the Dark Lord's reign through a scorched earth policy that would wipe out most of the life on the planet. However, the Imperial Knight Antares Draco, a trusted Fell loyalist, urged the Emperor not to do it, and that he would trust the he should trust the Force to take care of Krayt. But Rowan was blinded by his hatred and had fallen to the dark side and continued with the plan, even physically subduing Draco so that he could not be stopped. But the knight was not completely incapacitated and in a final attempt to stop Fell, he stabbed him in the back, killing him, thus carrying out his imperial duty to kill any emperor who falls prey to darkness. Around the same time, Krayt had been killed by Cade Skywalker, and with leaders of both factions dead, it would mark the end of the war. An ending and beginning. With the death of the Empire's leader, it was Rhone's daughter, Marassia Fell, who would assume the Emperor's mantle, though for all intents and purposes, the Fell Empire was over. Just prior to the conclusion of the war, Rhone had worked out an alliance with the New Jedi Council and the Galactic Alliance Remnant in order to resist the One Sith rule, called the Galactic Federation Triumvirate, with all three parties being equal parties. It was this triumvirate that would form the new galactic government in the wake of the Civil War, re-establishing trade, rebuilding war-torn worlds, and rehabilitating galactic infrastructure. The Fell Dynasty would continue, perhaps in a more ceremonial role, as one part of the three government branches. Marassia, 
or Sia for short, would bring in a number of reforms, especially with the Imperial Knights, mandating that they exclusively swear fealty to the light side of the Force, becoming pseudo-Jedi faction of their own. Though they were still employed in service of the throne, their first loyalty would be to the light side, as to help root out any possible resurgence of the Sith. This area was ostensibly the last known galactic empire in the legendary history of the galaxy far, far away. Now, a word from our sponsors. Do you not like sand? Are you tired of its coarseness and getting all over your starship? Do you hate the tedious chore of cleaning cosmic grime off your halls and windows? Look no further than the superior cleaning services of It's a Wash. Led by Mon Cala's greatest sanitation workers, your satisfaction is guaranteed as we do the hard work for you to ensure a clean and prestigious ship, enough to earn the Empire's envy. It's a wash, coming to Waterworld near you. Call ahead of time while openings last. Complete discounts may apply. Disclaimer, due to our protocols, please ensure all holes are sealed to prevent improper leaks while the ship is submerged. Thanks for flying with us. Jordan here. Just wanted to let everyone know what's happening here at the Star Lords podcast. Star Lords is now on Discord. If you would like to join the Star Lords Cantina Discord server, you can find a link in the description or on any of our social media accounts. Reach out with a DM or email. We'd love to hear from you. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter by searching the Star Lores podcast. Go ahead and give our page a like and send us a message. You can also email at starlorespodcast at gmail.com. Send us your fan art, Star Wars collections, or fan fictions, and you may even get a feature on one of our pages or even the show. Don't be afraid to offer corrections or add to any of the topics that we discuss on the show. We are also on Patreon. So if you want to help us pay the bills, as well as get a few awesome perks like bonus episodes, access to the private Facebook group, or the VIP section of the Discord server, head on over to patreon.com forward slash starlores and sign up for as little as one US dollar a month. And finally, make sure to subscribe to us on your favorite podcatcher app or YouTube, as well as sending us a five-star review on iTunes. This really helps us reach a wider audience. Enjoy the rest of the show. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it all while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. 
The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Welcome aboard the Millennial Falcon. This is Jordan. And this is Christian. We are here uh, flying above Ossus as we are going to visit the uh, Ossus Genocide Museum. And the wreckage of the old Jedi Temple. Yep. Uh, it's a very somber time and place. Um, also to reflect on the last stories of this franchise. <laughs> Indeed. The the end. Um, and I'd also like to say, uh, and I know we've said it before, but this time it's actually true. The Fell Empire did nothing wrong. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I, I, I We kind of joke about it with the... Uh, Palpatine Empire, but I think it's a little more true with the Fell Empire. They were kind of um, a kinder, gentler empire. <laughs> they they weren't as uh, sadistic, and they brought in a lot of human rights reform. Sure, <laughs> I want to agree with you, but also, <laughs> like being not as bad doesn't also mean you're good, though. That's true. For the record, it is true. Uh, I think they were let's just say less brutal uh the way they ruled they were still yeah. by our standards would still be tyrannical but like coming from where they were yeah to where exactly. they are yeah, yeah you have to give them credit for yeah it's going from like i don't know north korea to like russia or something you post, know? Like, yeah post Stalin russia yeah yeah you know, it's not great, but it's like better than it was. Yeah. <laughs> Is that what our standards are? I guess Pretty much, these yeah. days, yeah. Uh yeah, so um obviously we're we're getting into the the Fell dynasty, the Fell Empire. Uh so much of this era was written by John Ostrander. Uh he headed the Star Wars Legacy era, which is what this era is. Um, and he's also the one who wrote Dawn of the Jedi 25,000 years prior to uh, the Battle of Yavin. So uh, he kind of has a lot of experience writing way before and way after. Yeah, he's, he like pretty much the, bookends yeah. the entire Legends universe. That's right. With yeah. like the very beginning and the very end. Mm-hmm. And he has lots of stuff in between. Like he's a big writer on the Republic series. Yep. Um, he worked on the actual films, Episode 2 and Revenge of the Sith. So he's intimately familiar with the material. Yeah, yeah, he's definitely one of these characters uh, who really understands the Star Wars universe, has worked for them for a long time. Um, you know, not unlike a, a Filoni or a Timothy Zahn or someone. Yeah. You know? Someone who really appreciates the universe for what it is. And, yeah. and I like that he understands it enough that he's also willing to get experimental with it. Because that's where the weirdest stuff is, is at the very beginning, at the very end. Yeah. You know, like where so, they really try to get off the rails. And- so so that's the thing is I think if you're like, perhaps if you're just coming out of like, you just saw the movies and that's the only thing you ever experienced with Star Wars. If you read some of Ostrander's work, it could possibly be a bit jarring. Yeah. It'd it's, be alienating. Yeah. yeah. It, it's very different. Uh but I don't think it's different in a bad way. I think it's different in a good way. And he, 
the eras in which he's writing, they're so removed in time that it is believable that it allows you enough freedom to yeah know, exactly change things and, and he was able to like sort of ex- because there was that much time removed and he wasn't like he did write about um a little bit about luke and the solos and stuff but yeah and uh, their answer and their, i mean their descendants make appearances as well as yeah characters in the stories but that's the thing is his big thing was really their descendants so yeah yeah it wasn't so much touching the care already established characters as yeah. to him it creating was about new ones, creating new characters. Right. Yeah. And that's really what I think he excelled at. Um, but, um, yeah, it, it's, uh, I'm super appreciative. Um, uh, it's, uh, I think he did a good job in subsequent, uh, interviews. He has like stated that, um, he wanted to make the fell umpire like, he explicitly stated this that, that he wanted he didn't want just like the typical cartoonish bad guy yeah uh he wanted them to be like maybe kind of an anti-hero but also not the a, worst a grayer yeah yeah it put them in that gray area so like he like obviously as we went through this and as he's explicitly stated like he wanted to um make you think about uh if you really liked these this empire or not right yeah um so i think it was i think that's uh cool and that's a good way to do it because i think it is a little bit tired to just do the same thing yeah over and over again which i hate to jump into it this early in the episode but (laughs) to contrast with disney's recycling of the empire and the right. and the rebellion again right like yeah we've seen it we've done it we don't need to repeat that that's right yeah. and i that's what i really love about legacy is although there's lots of familiarity we still have the empire we still have the sith yeah and the jedi to a lesser extent um there, there's these new takes on them there's this like moral gray exploration right there's a lot of different i mean even cade's or not kate cade skywalker yeah, he's like the last Skywalker. Yeah. Yeah. But like even him as a character, he's he kills Crate. Yeah. yeah, but he isn't this like noble hero figure, right? He's got his dark side. Right, yeah. And, and we did do an episode on Cade. So. Yeah, and Crate for that matter. Yeah, and Crate. So people yeah. can always go back and, and listen to those ones. To but, get a, a better overall context. Um, yeah, but uh, but yeah, I, I agree. Even Cade Skywalker is sort of a, kind of a uh, almost like a solo. Yeah, <laughs> like he's a, not this paragon a, like Luke Yeah, exactly. Was. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. So... Yeah, and, and that seems to be that across the board kind of what Ostrander's take is with this, which I, I appreciate. Yeah. Anyways. Yeah, so um this was actually like uh the the sort of like the second the Sith Imperial Civil War and the events that happened after that and sort of the the end of the Fell Empire. This was actually like one of the last story arcs. Ever in Legends yeah. before Disney acquired it. So it it's sort of sad that it kind of ended here because they were trying to set it up for more. Yeah. And um, from everything I have read from digging around, they had they absolutely had plans to keep uh, developing this era, but it just, because of the Disney acquisition, everything. They just killed it. Yeah, yeah. everything got, got retconned. Which so. is tragic. I remember I was a huge fan of the Legacy comics, and my brothers and I would buy the issues as they were releasing. Oh, which, oh did you? I, it's very yeah. rare for me to, to yeah. be that interested in your story. Yeah, 100%. So. <clears throat> 
yeah, it would have been interesting to see like this new another yet another interpretation like this trivium. Uh, how did triumvirate? Triumvirate. Yeah, yeah. Sorry. Sorry. The uh, the triumvirate with like these like the Jedi Order, the 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 Fell Dynasty, yeah. and the the Galactic Alliance, like making the new government. It's kind and of how they would make decisions. I have a feeling that he probably would have gone with like a Rome. Yeah, the Roman triumvirate. There'd be all this like political backstab. Okay, so there, and then eventually, I'm just guessing based on history and the use of the. So what's the Rome triumvirate? What's um? It was Octavian, a really wealthy guy. I forget his name off the top of my head. Okay, and I believe Mark Antony. Oh, okay. Yeah, and then same thing, kind of like it devolved, like because they every each one wanted to be the sole ruler. That's right. right? Yeah. So, and then you know. It it just opens the door for this like all this political backdoor dealing and yeah. interest interesting politics, not just yeah, for sure. I think he was definitely probably setting up a storyline for CFL, the daughter of Rowan. Yeah. Um. Oh, yeah, absolutely. She was definitely going to be. Yeah, it seemed like she was going to be like a pretty major character in the future, but like yeah. we'll never know. Yeah, unfortunately, we'll never know where that went. Also, is, the Mandalorians too; they were pretty low key, but it looked like they were ramping up as if they were going to make an appearance again. Oh, so. were they? Okay. Who knows? Who yeah. knows what? Uh, you know, there, John, there, if you're out there listening, last couple of years, <laughs> last couple of years, there's been rumors of reviving legends. The the I've legends heard it. For, yeah, <laughs> I I wish it were true, but I can't let my yeah. delicate heart. I mean, it would be great if John Ostrander could come back and maybe finish, finish his work, finish one more arc or something. Yeah, you know, and give us a little more. Yeah, see see where the triumvirate would uh, would end go. Up. Yeah. yeah. Um. But anyways, uh, just kind of interesting. I think it, even though it didn't maybe end the way we want to, like with a more satisfying ending. Um. I think it was. At least it was good. Yeah, <laughs> it no, ended absolutely. well, like on a good note, you know, not yeah. on a, not on like just bad writing or a bad a bad story, yeah, or, bad story, yeah, and bad characters or anything. At least in my opinion, maybe I'm sure there's I, people out there that yeah, hate, I'm, like, everyone has their own, yeah. especially with Star Wars, you'll find you it's know, true, the divisiveness yeah. of the fan base. But as far as I've read, just the general temperature online, it seems to be pretty well received. Yeah, and yeah. like I said, I loved it enough to be, you know, waiting for each issue to come out. Yeah, totally. So, yeah. Um, uh, now I I thought it was kind of interesting. I kind of wondered if there was a couple forty k references. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> so Warhammer forty k. Um, so obviously there's Imperial Knights in Warhammer. Uh, yeah, and uh, they're not exactly the same Imperial Knights that uh, of the Feld Empire, but there is some similarities, like the the operator. An Imperial Knight in Warhammer 40k is like this huge, I don't know, 30 foot, 40 foot tall uh, sort of engine. (laughs) Yeah, it's kind of like a just bigger space marine. A mech warrior. Yeah. But they're not as big as Titans. No. Yeah, they're still like a lot smaller than Titans, but um, but they're operated by one like very elite pilot. uh, Yeah, pilot. And, And usually they're like from an aristocratic family is what i read yeah so i just thought it was kind of interesting like i don't know if the name was is probably by accident but there was also i found there's a peleon class star destroyer called the warhammer right yeah (laughs) i will say that maybe independently that might be kind of a you might be reaching 
Yeah. Because like Imperial Knights could also exist. Like the Holy Roman Empire had Imperial Knights as That's well. That's true, yeah. So it could have been like a historical reference. But when you throw in the Warhammer, again, yeah. a but weapon that, of war in itself. But the, the only thing is both the Warhammer and the Imperial Knights, I believe both came from o- Ostrander. Yeah. So he, it just makes me wonder if he was like like throwing in some... Uh, Easter eggs or yeah. something, yeah. It's, I mean, it's possible. <laughs> yeah, I think it, they're both kind of like common enough that they could it's be historical true, yeah. references, <laughs> but at the same time, it's definitely it's. I'll say it's plausible. Yeah, for my part. Um, also, like kind of in the beginning of the episode, some of the reforms that Jagged Fell brought in. One of them was called the Victory Without War policy, which I thought was kind of interesting. Um, because what they did was basically like invest money uh, and infrastructure into like all these star systems and sectors and planets yeah. uh, to buy their their loyalty. Basically, I was getting very strong China vibes from that. So no, it's <laughs> a, it's actually very similar to like the post World War II period when America with the Bretton Woods Agreement to buy oil for U.S. dollars. Because then America started like investing in all these countries around the world and and started defending the trade routes with their navy, and so like th- this is almost exactly. And then the, the U.S. started the International Monetary Fund and the World Bank, which were explicitly to help developing nations. Well, help in quotes. Yeah, quote, quote unquote help. The, the, yeah. I think I think these are very. Um, uh, shadowy organizations that are very difficult to audit and um i think are probably very corrupt if we could look under the hood be that as it may in the i to me it seemed like it in the i that was sort of the idea that he was trying to get across with uh this sort of victory without war policy because that is kind of what the americans were trying to they were trying to make a deck or an era of peace with yeah. a, with no war right and so they were trying to get the whole world to adopt the quote-unquote rules-based world order liberal war world order right with, yeah. which um actually fdr used to call the new world order <laughs> and that's where the the new world <laughs> order came from but then that became sort of a Associated, yeah, with, uh, associated with like conspiracy theories, but anyways, just uh, interesting tidbits on history. Um, but you did say China, and yes, so China's Belt and Road Initiative is basically the same thing, they're, yeah, they're copying what America did, did with the previously. IMF and the World Bank, and they're trying to do the same thing, but I think it's probably going to blow up in their face because a I bunch mean, of those countries that are going bankrupt, yeah. <laughs> That they've lent money to, so and it's not like the American version either is necessarily going great. At yeah, the moment. yeah. <laughs> so it went better for a few decades at so, first. Yeah, yeah. It, it worked for like a while. Lasted longer. Yeah, than, yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah. So, anyways, just some interesting like real life. It seemed like they're weaving in like things that have happened in, in real life, which op- often happens. We like we talk about on the show a lot, like real world yeah. um, examples of of where you would maybe think that they got inspiration from right so yeah anyways um you wanted to bring up this next point here um so kind of bringing it back to the imperial knights there 
very cool faction. Very oh, yeah. unique. So I was I was gonna bring this up too. Like the Imperial Knights are actually pretty awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I, they're one of my favorite things. I can't like institutions. That oh, okay. Came out of yeah, that. yeah. <laughs> they're like the way I love clone troopers. I like the Imperial Knights. Yeah, they're really cool. Um, they're they're really they're almost like secular force users. Yeah, yeah. Which is yeah. an interesting take too. They're very pragmatic, which is also the Fell Empire is described as pragmatic and utilitarian, yeah. right? Yeah. Again, trying to be more of this gray rather than like cartoonishly evil. Yeah. Not to say that utilitarianism doesn't have its faults either. <laughs> yeah. And could lead to its own <laughs> um, moral for sure degradations. But uh, yeah, and it's interesting too that their role, even though they're bodyguards of the Emperor it's almost like they have more an, an allegiance to their their imperial constitution rather than the head of state themselves. Yeah. And even will carry out an execution against the head of state if they go rogue. Yeah, which I actually thought was crazy that they... Well, well one, there's there's two things. Like, the the emperor shared power equally with the Council of Moths, right? Yeah. It, it, so that uh, um, a separation of powers is, like, uh, also a big difference from the previous... Soul, yeah. tyrannical ruler yeah exactly yeah. um like a totalitarian state uh but then also the policy of like if an emperor goes to the dark side he is to be executed yeah which is kind of funny <laughs> by his own bodyguards so yeah. i was getting like again kind of the roman aesthetic of like praetorian guards in there like murdering right. their own emperors <laughs> yeah. that they're supposedly charged to protect yeah. probably not for the same re the same yeah. positive reasons Obviously, they want to install their own and, you know, whatever yeah. po politics of Rome at the time. But um, but ultimately, that's the reason why Rowan Fell got executed by his own... His own guard. His own yeah. guard. <laughs> like, and it, it's it's cool because his guard was, like, loyal to his mission. He wasn't, yeah. like, betraying. Which, incidentally, like, so cool... Well, not cool, I don't know, cool, but a real-life example would be, again, with constitutionalism, like, yeah. in theory, your military swears allegiance to the Constitution, That's in, right. in the United States, at least, yeah, um, and not the head of state, right? right? Even though the president is a commander-in-chief, the soldiers are sworn to the Constitution. Yeah. So you could I have... police officers, it's like the same thing, is it not? Possibly. I'm not sure about yeah. police so much. But you have that split of, like, if our commander-in-chief goes rogue, not necessarily that they're given the charge to execute, but... That would exist in theory. Yeah. In Canada, however, the military swears allegiance to the Queen, oh, I know. but so, not the Canadian head of state. So in theory, yeah, the, the British. Head well, of I guess state. the King now. The King. So yeah. if the King went rogue <laughs> and called in all his uh, former colonial powers and any nation that still yeah. swears allegiance to the to Australia, the crown, New Zealand, yeah. Jamaica, the, uh, <laughs> the Commonwealth nations, yeah. <laughs> then uh, the King could theoretically like wield the great like. Yeah, greatest combined military yeah. and even turn it against the people of the countries that they live in a hundred percent just an interesting on paper I think that, <laughs> on paper i think that's actually how it works like oh absolutely yeah now whether or not that would actually happen yeah who knows but again that does that is a point for constitutionalism where yeah you're sworn to an unwavering document so that if your head of state does go rogue yeah. or something crazy happens, they can. Yeah, it's better to it. be like swearing to like principles and ideals than just than people. people. Yeah, because people will always fail. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> um, I did want to. So for all the praise we're keeping on this story arc, <laughs> there I do have some critiques, and I might as well air them now because sure. I don't know if I'll have another opportunity. Um, so one thing that I didn't like is 
the lack of technological evolution, and I know this comes up a lot. It, I, I just found it strange how, especially coming from the same author, you have really weird technology from Tales of the Jedi era. Right. Or Dawn of the Jedi. Dawn of the Jedi, yeah. sorry, yeah. And yeah, then, yeah. although Tales of the Jedi also had a weird tech, but not to yeah. get into that. <laughs> um, and then, you know, you have these, like, stylistic shifts between, like, episode one and four, five, and six. Yeah. And yeah. then, but there's this consistency as well from, like, KOTOR to episode one where, like, buildings look very much the same. You couldn't Well, that really, was one of my criticisms of KOTOR. It's, it's too similar. Too similar, right. Yeah. And this is my criticism now of Legacy, okay, of which Legacy. is we're 100 yeah. years later. Stormtrooper armor ha- is unchanged, which is the one thing I'll give Disney a point for, <laughs> is evolving the Stormtrooper armor to this more tactical, sleek-looking armor. Okay, I yeah. do like... Uh, yeah, actually, I do well, like it didn't that. look that bad. Yeah. No, yeah. The, I, I'm not but a big it's still, fan of the it face. It was still but. like Stormtrooper. Yeah, yeah, and enough that you could instantly identify, right? In the yeah. same way the clones evolved, you know, from phase one to phase two... Then you have these all these in-between styles of armors coming out in these different TV shows. And then finally the standard Stormtrooper. And then now 100 years later, they're still wearing the same Stormtrooper armor. So either Stormtrooper armor is the best <laughs> technology we could hope Doesn't for. Doesn't need to be improved. Right, exactly. <laughs> or something. Why reinvent the yeah, wheel? <laughs> right, exactly. Um, so that was my one kind of critique. Yeah. And like even the TIE Fighters evolved. They have like cool new design. Okay. Like more triangular wings yeah okay yeah. and they're like the ball still you could tell what it is yeah and like star destroyers still basic triangle shape just slightly yeah they look a little different yeah the new the new one yeah but yeah um but it was really cool because you do follow a stormtrooper squad pretty closely at least in some one of the arcs that i remember okay and uh but that and i liked that ground level boots on the ground mud and muck yeah like it was really cool because it just took you out of the main story and you just kind of followed this squad for a while. Yeah, and you know they take off their helmets and stuff. You also saw more aliens, which speaks to the reduced xenophobia. Right, right. You had aliens actually serving in in, in the stormtrooper corps. Yeah, yeah. Which you did with the with the even with the xenophobic empire, but they were definitely like minim minuscule and rare, yeah. very rare, and like probably charged with very specific tasks and not treated very well within the ranks or given the choice of military service or execution right so (laughs) (laughs) but these are like willing combatants so i did like that but yeah it was just again the one i'll score credit where it's due and disney has credit for evolving the stormtrooper armor their tie fighters look exactly the same (laughs) so if we could take their stormtrooper armor and just transplant them into the legacy now, I do wonder, like, maybe not with TIE Fighters, but with a ship like a Star Destroyer, like, hypothetically, couldn't that ship last, like, 200 years? Yeah. You could yeah, maintain it? I, I think, in theory, like, same like a lot of our battleships, right? Like, they're right. quite they're old, old, yeah. but it's also because it costs so much to replace them. Yeah. Um, which would make sense, right? And, and in space, like, yeah, yeah, you know, make them last as long as possible, get as much life cycle out of them. Um, so again, that's not so much my critique as the ships is the, yeah. is the front line boots on the ground battle armor. Yeah. Although stormtrooper armor will always look good regardless. Yeah. Yeah. Something I kind of liked about the whole like foul empire idea is just like, you know, creating like an actual culture, you know, and, uh, like a tradition and a dynasty, like there is something kind of cool about like you can kind of build more and more on top of that. So 
I don't know. I thought I thought that was kind of a cool interpretation of what like a new empire could, could look, look like. like you yeah. Know? So, um, but uh, yeah. Anyways, uh, any more thoughts on the, the Fell Dynasty there? I have some thoughts on the one Seth, but I don't. It's not specific to the Fell Dynasty, so maybe we'll save it for a different episode. Yeah, I think we have. I in the crate episode we went over. We talk about the one Seth. The yeah. one Seth quite a bit. Yeah. yeah. But, why you want to do a whole episode on the one set we'll see how much there is to talk about (laughs) yeah it's true okay um anyways i just wanted to give a couple shout outs one to our new patron sato want to thank you very much sir or madam (laughs) um for your contribution uh, if anyone is interested in helping support the show, help pay the bills, you can go to patreon.com forward slash star lores. And for $3 a month, you can have access to all of our bonus material and uh, the exclusive groups as well. I also want to thank um, the uh, writer of this episode's ad read. Um, was Gerald91 on our Discord group. He wrote our the ad for this episode so if anyone else is interested in writing ads you've heard how we do them usually they're like a parody of an in-universe company uh and um try to make it as funny as you can yeah you know but think of like ridiculous ads you might see on or you can make up a product or something that's believable within the context of the uniform universe yeah um, yeah, it has to be like an in-universe. You have to be in-universe. Yeah, uh, yeah. from that perspective. Um, but also, if you have something you want in real world and want to pay us to run your ad, we'll do that too. <laughs> we also do real ads. You yeah. can actually sponsor the show. <laughs> yeah, if you want to actually sponsor. Otherwise, if you want to write a fake ad, in-universe Star Wars ad, we like adding those because it's kind of fun. So. Yeah. Uh, you can write that and uh, send it in to us. In, um, you could just email us or DM us on any of our socials and we'll have a look at it. We're not guaranteeing we will post it, but if we like it enough, we will. All right. Cool. All right. On that note, we shall see y'all later. <laughs>